I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. And welcome to Strange and Sinister, where we talk about true crime, psychology, conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all things spooky and weird. Yes. <laughs> so, I think this is going to be our last episode of 2022. Is it actually? Yeah. Because it comes, it out, comes out this before? week. Oh, yeah, that's true. We are recording kind of late because of all the Christmas things that happened and the weather has yeah. kind of pushed back recording. So, yeah, this episode releases in like two days. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this is our last episode of 2022, which is so weird. I feel like we accomplished something, though. We made it. We did. We really did accomplish something, especially in like the short amount of time that we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, we've hit a thousand listens, Woo-hoo. which I'm very proud of. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's so nice. It's so cool. I wish that there was a way for all of us to interact and talk about these things. Yeah, throw a giant party. Right? I know. <laughs> Except that I would not attend because I hate parties. I was going to be like, not at my house. (laughs) Um, let's see. What else do we have to talk about? Oh, I want to give a shout out to my bestie, Grace. Grace. Because she was one of the only people that caught the Riddler comment in the last episode, which it was at the like very end. So I'm not going to. It was at the very end. It, we just released that episode like this past week. So it's no tea or shade to people who haven't. No. Because it was literally at the very end and I just made it up on the spot. Maybe a little tea and shade if you listen to the full episode and follow us on Instagram and didn't comment. Yeah, that's a little bit of tea and shade. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Y'all are lazy. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm lazy too. I probably wouldn't have done it either. I know. (laughs) But thank you, Grace. We love you and we see you and we're so happy that you're enjoying the podcast. We thank you so much for the support. Um, let's see. I think I'm just going to get into it because I don't really have that much else to say today. Yeah, me neither. Just a lot going on, right? No updates. Just Christmas happened. It's snowing today. It's snowing. Yeah, we had a white Christmas in Tennessee, which is fun. Doesn't happen super often. No. So that was super cool. It's cold as fuck outside. Oh, it's so fucking cold. I ain't going out in that bitch again today. But I'm probably just going to get into it. And today I'm going to be talking about the boy in the box. Um, so I decided to do this case. Some Part of because I knew that I was going to have to kind of hurry up and edit this episode and get it out this week. Yeah. But I did find a lot of interesting stuff. And I have like 10 pages of notes. I love that. So it's not like I didn't care. No. I promise. And I suggested this case, actually, to Emily because I don't know this case well. And yeah. I really wanted to learn more about it. And Emily had like brought it up throughout conversations the past few weeks because there are updates in the case that just came out. So I was like telling Emily about how I want to learn more about this case. Yeah, so I decided to do it, especially because of the new updates that just happened this year in 2022 yeah which is crazy because this case takes place in 1957 so 87 50 50 oh i promise i'm paying attention anyway so i was super excited to do this case because i know it's been in the news a lot since we had the whole update 
but it is still an unsolved case nevertheless it's not solved just because of the updates that have been happening still an unsolved case though we're definitely getting closer to solving it i think i don't know yeah so right off the bat i just want to say that i already have conflicting information about how the boy in the box was found and honestly i'm not sure if it matters that much how he was found but like i'll tell you the different variations of the story that i found and i found that even though this case is super well known some of the information was super hard to find or was vague and like i couldn't confirm a lot of things which sucked but it was you know in 1957 it's before the internet before computers so anything any documents they had would have had to been transferred to digital format which we can't guarantee that was done right Uh, i don't know if it was done at all or if it was just done half-assed so i just want to say a lot of the information that i pulled is from the doe network which is a super cool organization if you haven't heard of it it's a nonprofit organization of volunteers who work with law enforcement to connect missing persons cases with um, John and Jane Doe cases. That's so, amazing. Yeah, it's so awesome. They've helped in so many cases and they were um, super helpful in me researching for this case. And their headquarters are actually in Tennessee. Oh, shout out. Right? Shout out Tennessee because that's where we are. Anyway. So, just to give a little disclaimer, this is the most accurate information that I could find on the case. I have watched tons of YouTube videos. I read so many articles and documents and things that this is this is what I got for y'all. Okay. So, we're just going to start with a few of the different variations of how the boy was found. Like I said, I don't think it matters that much. It wasn't like the person who found him wasn't involved in any way so it's not like it's gonna change the story that much but i'll tell you anyway so some sources say that on february 23rd 1957 a student at lasalle university in philadelphia named frederick bonosis uh was walking through a vacant lot on susquehanna road which is in a neighborhood in philadelphia called fox chase And he was there to peep at the girls enrolled at Sisters of Good Shepherd, which was a home for wayward girls. Peeping? Yeah. Like Peeping Tom? Yeah. Oh. Right. And as he was walking through the brush, Frederick saw the old cardboard box with the boy inside. And some sources say that he mistook the boy for a mannequin of some kind or didn't report the body to police out of fear and embarrassment until February 25th, 1957. But it was also reported that a different boy was checking on his illegal muskrat traps in this area on February 23rd, 1957, when he saw the body of the boy in the box, but he didn't report it because he was scared of getting in trouble for laying the muskrat traps. That is bizarrely weird both those stories right and then they're saying that two days later frederick would go to peep at the girls at uh sisters of good shepherd where he would find the boy in the box 
And I also heard that one of these people said that they found the boy while chasing a rabbit through the brush. I, uh, I'm not quite sure where that fits in. Who goes in. chasing rabbits? I don't know. It was so weird. So. Going to Wonderland? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, Alice. So, again, I have no idea which story is correct or if they're all just pieces of the if truth. If they're all true, that's a weird, <laughs> that's weird. Right. But it could be. Right? I, I have no idea. But in all honesty, I don't really think it matters that much in this specific case. Because mm-hmm. either way, the body was found by police on February 25th, 1957. 25th? 25th. But those reports were earlier in the month, right? No, they were in February, just like two days before. Oh, I thought you said the 5th or something for one of those. <laughs> okay. February. I promise I'm paying attention. <laughs> we just got off a shift. So, you know, we're still a little bit tired so the boy was found naked and wrapped in a cheap thin cotton flannel blanket the blanket appeared to be pretty clean like it had been washed recently it had a plaid and diamond design and was green brown white and a rust color the blanket appeared to have been cut in half as well with some of the halves being smeared with automotive grease One half of the blanket measured out to be 33 by 76 inches, while the other half was 31 by 51 inches. A piece of the second half of the blanket was missing and was never found. So that's just some info on the blanket. That poor baby. I know. I am starting out with some of the physical evidence that was found with him, and then I'll go into kind of a darker how he was actually found. Okay. Um... It just made more sense to lay it out that way. Yeah. The medical examiner's office eventually took this blanket to the Philadelphia Textile Institute for testing, and they found that it could have been made in Swannanoa, North Carolina, by a company called Beacon Mills, or in Granby, Quebec, Canada, by Esmond Mills. But police ultimately realized that locating a specific purchase of this blanket was going to be extremely difficult, because they were shipped all over the world wholesale. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's not going to... There was no way that they were going to be able to track this blanket. No. The box that the boy was found in was a cardboard box from J.C. Penny, which once held a white baby's bassinet. The serial See, I num- didn't... Oh, sorry. No, you I good. didn't know that. I didn't know it was a cardboard box. Really? Either. No. Interesting. I think I just imagined it almost like a wooden kind of makeshift coffin almost is what i always pictured in my head when i heard because i've heard of the boy in the box i've Uh never dove into it yeah Uh, it was a cardboard cardboard box box. from jc penny's the serial number that was printed on the box allowed police to trace it to a jc penny store about 15 miles away from where the boy was found the box had the words furniture fragile do not open with the knife on it Police found that 12 people from this JCPenney store purchased the bassinet, but they all paid in cash, which I immediately thought, like, duh, it's the 1950s. Yeah, right? They don't have credit cards. Sure. But then I looked it up, and I found out credit cards were invented in 1950. Really? Yeah. Plus, I guess kind of checks were more common. I don't know if that was necessarily a form of payment at a store. 
Yeah, I think so. J.C. Penney's was around in the 50s, too. Right, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, you really do learn something new every day. I had yeah. no idea that that's what I didn't know credit cards. Been. I thought they'd be from the 80s or right? something. No, nah, wow. for real. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And it, it wasn't like the like magnetic shit sure, that we have. That, but like, yeah. it was like a, you know, the same concept. Yeah. Just Which was a crazy. little bit different tech, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Obviously yeah <laughs> they weren't as advanced but it was super interesting i don't know learn something new so eight of the people who purchased the bassinet from the jc penny contacted police and let them know that they either still had the box in their possession or they put it out for the trash to pick it up the police did find out that this specific box shipped to upper darby pennsylvania which is only like a 45-minute drive from Fox Chase, which is where the boy was found. Now, this is um, where I'm going to get into talking about how the boy's body was found. Yeah. Uh, And then I'll continue talking about the physical evidence. But I just want to give a trigger warning that this is going to be a little bit, uh, you know. Oh, no. Not good. It's, you know, obviously a child who was killed so that's not always the easiest thing to listen to so if you need to skip this that is totally cool so as i said the boy was found naked and he was severely beaten and looked to be severely malnourished his sandy colored hair was very crudely cut so like some parts of it were still kind of long and some of it was like down the scalp and there were still some strands and clumps of his hair that was found on his body making the police unsure if his hair was cut before or after his death. His fingernails were trimmed, and he had a pale complexion and blue eyes. Dr. Joseph Spellman, who was Philadelphia's chief medical examiner, performed the boy's autopsy, and the boy was estimated to be around three to six years old, and because of the cold, they couldn't really tell how long he'd been dead for, He said it could have been a couple days to a a few weeks. And he was 41 inches tall and weighed only 30 pounds at the time of his death, which is so sad. Yeah. He had a full set of baby teeth and he was slightly buck-toothed. And Spellman noticed seven specific scars on his body, three of which looked to be possibly surgical. So one of these possible surgical scars was on the left side of his chest and it was said in his autopsy report that it healed nicely and it left only a one inch hairline trace. Another one of these possible surgical scars was on his groin which Spellman thought could have been from a hernia surgery which is interesting I didn't know that children yeah for some for kids so young that seems to get hernia surgery I don't know maybe I'm not sure I've never had a kid right so I don't know. Okay, so the last possible surgical scar was on the boy's left ankle. And it looked like it could be a cut-down incision, which is a technique that's used to expose a vein so a needle could be inserted to allow for a blood transfusion or infusion. You think, yeah, having had these three specific surgeries could help maybe identify the child? Right, that there'd be like a record of him being in the hospital or something. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's easier said than done, but... 
right? Especially in 1950. Oh, yeah, that's something, true. Right. But I'd never heard of a cut down incision before. And when I was reading about it, I was like, Ugh. ew. Yeah. <laughs> that just, I don't know, medical. It's so weird because I'm, you know, a true crime person and I yeah. look at weird stuff all the time. I talk about weird stuff all the time. But like, yes, medical I don't know. Stuff medical stuff specifically kind of is like, Ugh. you probably feel closer to it or it's more relatable or like you could picture True. yourself i don't know maybe true i don't uh, know yeah but it just ugh, i don't know the boy had an l-shaped scar on his chin which was a quarter inch long in each direction and he had a one and a half inch scar on the left side of his chest and a round irregular scar on his elbow the boy was circumcised and he did not have any vaccination marks, which made police think that he might have never been enrolled in public school. Yeah. But what I the only thing about that is like I know getting vaccinations back then was different. Like they had yeah. the weird long, like scary looking thing. Yeah. Um, I think. I don't really know. Maybe I should have went deeper and saw, like, would it have left a mark if he was how old? Three to six years old? Like, would a vaccination really leave a mark for that one? Right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they would then. Maybe the needles were that much bigger that there were marks left. Right. But I'm like, how many vaccines did they have to get back then for school? How many vaccines were even invented back then? Yeah. I don't know the history of vaccines, really. Me neither. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that until, like, just saying that out loud right now. Yeah. And I would say, I don't know. Even if he... Maybe it would also be easier to, like, fake your way out of getting vaccines. Oh, yeah. To continue schooling. I'm sure. like... I don't know. Right. I mean, you probably just need, like, a handwritten doctor's note or something. I think that's how it's done now is just handwritten doctor notes. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I never really thought about that until I just said that out loud. The boy had several moles on his body, including three on the left side of his face, one below his right ear, three on his chest, and two, or I'm sorry, and one two inches above his right wrist. Spellman stated that the boy died due to the beating, which left tons of bruises all over his body. And Spellman cited blunt force trauma to the boy's head as his cause of death. He also stated that there is a possibility of pressure causing his death, such as someone like squeezing his head oh my really gosh. hard. Yeah, it's it's really sad. They theorized that it could have might maybe have been done when they were cutting his hair. They squeezed his head really hard. Isn't that just ugh. that's I know. It, it's even worse when they didn't have the technology to, like, render a picture of his face. Yeah. So, I'll get into this later, but most of the posters that they sent out to try to identify him were just, like, the picture of him post-mortem. I know, and I've seen those photos. Like, it... It's hard to imagine that they were releasing that photo publicly of a child. Right. Because it is. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's, it makes you s- sick to your stomach. Like, yeah. it is so sad. Because it's not particularly 
gory or anything but the fact that it's a child and it's a dead child yeah it just is so that has clearly been beaten and malnourished yeah very upsetting it's a very upsetting picture can't fight both the cats just came in here i just know they're about to cause a ruckus so spellman also theorized that the child could have been abused for a period of time before his death which is even and it starts (sighs) to make you wonder like was this in the hands of like a guardian right or was he abducted and kept for a longer period of time but then you're like who was missing this child like someone was missing that child then and then that's kind of the big questions of this case so i won't ask yeah. that much more now no yeah but it it really does beg the question like who who could have done this to a child and not missed the child right so spellman also found that the palm of the boy's right hand and the soles of his feet were rough and wrinkled as if they had been submerged in water either prior to or after his death they couldn't tell oh my gosh right it that's really th- bothering i don't understand that very much i don't know yeah i don't know i guess it would depend on how long he was deceased true but I don't know, just his right hand and both of his feet. It's just, I don't know uh, if there's water where he was found because it was February. It wasn't Pennsylvania, so it it was cold. This might be a stupid question. Could it have been like because of a bath? Like if he got a haircut before he died, like had whoever groomed him to look better before they killed him? You know, that happened. Or after. Even after they could have bathed him. I'll get into that later. If they're cutting his hair, too. I'll get into that later. It's so gross. But, see, my thing was, not to, like, already start with the theories, but my thing was, if he was, like, in a bath, then wouldn't his, like, whole body be wrinkled? Not just the soles of his feet. Oh, you're right. One hand? Well, honestly, you think about when you're in the shower for, or, you know, when you're in the bath for a long period of time and your fingers wrinkle up yeah okay I guess uh, you're right. maybe it only shows up on like your exterior kind of limbs yeah. or your hands and feet maybe i don't know true <laughs> then again i feel like maybe not there would definitely be more scientifically you'd be able to tell yeah other right? parts of your body like skin slippage or something yeah okay i don't know any anyway it was also reported that when exposed to ultraviolet light, the boy's right eye glowed blue, which meant that he had been exposed to a dye that was supposed to diagnose chronic eye disease. Huh. I couldn't confirm this completely. I've seen it in a couple of reports, but I'm not sure of the validity of it. I wonder how long that would happen, like how much time could have passed between if he went to an eye doctor and had this test done supposedly if that's what happened and then him dying like how long it could have been for that dye to show up right because if he just went to the doctor like the day before or like hours before yeah like it would still be there yes but i don't know how long i don't think it would last days or weeks right i don't know but i'm not even sure if that's true Oh, okay yeah i only saw it in a couple reports 
That's and so I couldn't confirm it. Like I couldn't find any like original source for that. That's so interesting that there it there's all these confirmations that he was taken care of medically. Right. Like like his nails surgeries. were trimmed. He had surgeries. That too. He like, was groomed. Yeah. He just was also malnourished, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And may or may not have had vaccines. Right. Hmm. Now that you know more about the absolutely horrific state that this child was found in, I'm going to continue describing more of the physical evidence that was found. So I already covered the blanket that went nowhere. Yeah. And a little bit about the box, which was the JCPenney box that had the bassinet in it originally. It was traced to a place 45 minutes away from where he was found. And that was really all that they knew about the box. While searching the scene, investigators found a tan children's scarf and a boy's yellow flannel shirt, which was size 4. And I found nothing else about this scarf. I don't know what happened to the scarf. The boy was found naked, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't know what happened to the scarf, but it was reported that the yellow shirt did fit the boy and it was his size. Aww. But I, nothing else came of that. Yeah. Um, a pair of black shoes were also found, but they didn't fit the boy. And I also have no idea what ended up happening with the shoes. No clue. I did not find anything else about the shoes rather than they didn't fit. That was it. Ah. See that same with like Dennis's case. Mm Mm-hmm. Which apparently the shoes might have fit. I'm struggling to remember this case now. But that is just the one issue with older cases is that- they did not take as much care or time, I feel like, with physical evidence because they just simply didn't have the technology to be able to yeah. do so. You know, like they didn't know that we were going to be able to pull DNA from these things. like Yeah, or share this information on a world scale where yeah. everyone could have eyes on this case and maybe be able to come up with the answer. Exactly. Yeah. Like there was no internet that they could just like post it on and be like, have, True. have you seen this these shoes before? Like, yeah. you know, so it's definitely not a knock at the investigators. I'm no. 100% sure they were doing everything that they could, but it is kind of frustrating to just see that there's these pieces of evidence and then they just lead nowhere even today like the communication between like jurisdictions and different police departments like there's virtually none almost it seems like so you gotta imagine back in the 50s they're definitely like it wasn't yeah no absolutely not and that wasn't really a thing until like ted bundy Yes. When he went into a bunch yeah. of different states and then they finally were like, maybe we I should talk to really each other. that's really what woke them up. Yeah. I think. That they should talk to each other. Um, and that, I mean, that is difficult because obviously you don't want to assume that what happened in one state is automatically connected to something that happened in another state. But. True. I don't know. Just communication is key. Yes. Communication is key. So, about 17 feet away from where the boy was found, investigators found an Ivy League-style cap, which is one of those, like, 
like they're kind of like flattish on the top. Imagine like a new a newsies cap, you know? Like okay. you know, the people that sing with the newspapers. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so kind of like a newsies cap. That's like the best I can describe it. It was made from blue corduroy and it had a leather strap and a buckle on the back and it was size 7 and 1/8. Apparently hats came in sizes. Didn't know that either. <laughs> None of my hats ever had a size. Maybe I'm just not wearing the right hats. Maybe. I don't know. But this hat had a label on the inside that read Eagle Hat and Cap Company, which was a small company located in South Philadelphia. Uh, Hannah Robbins was the owner of the company, and she remembered the man who commissioned the hat because he asked her to add the buckle and the strap on it specifically holy crap yeah so she made the hat a couple versions of it like just normal just the blue corduroy and the guy commissioned her to add the buckle and the strap yeah she described this man as blonde between the ages of 26 and 30 and spoke without an accent well i guess that just means he had a philadelphia accent because like i can't Imagine that you would say, spoke without an accent, unless she means, like, a foreign accent, you know? If you were going to pay for this custom hat, also, why would it end up in the woods or wherever? Just this random location? That's a great question. Yeah, if you commissioned this special hat, probably paid a lot of money for it to get it specially made by a small business. That seems odd. Left it in the woods somewhere by a dead child. Right. That's a little suspicious. So investigators went to Hannah Robbins, the owner of the hat company, and showed her a picture of the boy. And she said that he resembled the man who came in and commissioned the hat resembled the boy, but he paid for the hat in cash and she never saw him again. So just it's sad because there's so much evidence Yes. There's a lot a of physical lot. evidence and it just all hits a dead end and it just is very frustrating. The police then canvassed the area and asked if anyone recognized the hat or the boy, but this search came up fruitless and no one came forward. A strand of long brown hair was found on the child, but it did not belong to him. Also, a white handkerchief with the letter G on it was found. I think it might have been, like, in the box with them or something. It, it wasn't really specific about where this handkerchief was found, whether it was just, like, on the ground or if it was with the boy in the box. I mean, this was a different time. There's no such... I mean, there's not DNA or anything like that, but I'm just blown away at how much physical evidence there, there is. Yeah, there's a lot of physical evidence. It is a different time, though, so... Right. It that it just is so frustrating. It is. Though. I wish that they had DNA testing in nineteen fifty seven. With today's technology, they would have probably found the guy within a week or something. Right? I can only imagine. So short strands of brown hair were found on the handkerchief, and apparently they tested it. Yeah. But uh, nothing came of it. They never reported back about their finding. Yeah, probably went nowhere. And that happens a lot with things like that, I feel. Like, they they say, like, yeah, we're going to test this. Like, you know, 
and we, then yeah. nothing comes of it so they just don't they're telling everyone the public that they're gonna test it everyone's super hopeful wanting to hear some answers and then most of the time it just they goes, don't even give us the answers yeah but, but it's because it like goes nowhere and they just yeah feel the need they don't feel the need to have to tell people yeah but i don't know I, I think it leaves a lot to the imagination, though, when people are like, and they never told us what happened to yeah, that. And when they don't give us an answer, I think it kind of people will take their own theories about the case and use it as evidence when obviously it never went anywhere. So it they probably did their work and we just have to trust that we weren't given the answers or the articles still don't exist or the paperwork or whatever doesn't exist anymore yeah i agree so like i said it's very frustrating that dna and for us forensic testing technologies weren't advanced enough to test any of these pieces of evidence so most of it led nowhere or were just completely thrown out and was never talked about which is super sad because yes. there's just so much and I mean, I'm just going to say it again. Like, it's not like they could have known that 30 years later. Exactly. That there was no. going to be a way to test those things. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not their fault. They really were just doing with what they had, you know. So, investigators were completely stumped. At this point, they have circulated over 400,000 posters of the unknown child across Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So they did cross jurisdiction there. Yeah. Uh, but no one had come forward to claim the boy or that they knew him. That's another crazy thing is that this child has been found murdered and no one's... It's not connecting to anyone missing or... Right. Nobody came forward. Uh, Philadelphia Gasworks mailed 200,000 flyers of the boy with their customers' gas bills. And restaurants, pharmacies, grocery stores, literally anywhere that they could put a flyer, they would put a flyer. And still nobody came forward. There can't... To me, now there's like no way this child was in school. Because what about teachers? None of his teachers ever came... Like, his face was everywhere. Everybody knows about the boy in the box. Right. So you would think some sort of teacher or other adult in his life... Like, if people knew he existed, they would have... You know, somebody had to have known this child if he was right, a normal was, child. Yeah, Exactly. That just makes me think that maybe they just didn't want to get involved for some reason or like the child truly just wasn't maybe he was a normal child. Yeah, like stuck something. And I don't know. It just makes me it's just so upsetting. It's so sad. It is because he was just an innocent child and just no one cared to come forward to say who he was. What if he was even kidnapped as a baby or something? Hmm. I don't know. I never thought about that. Maybe. Yeah. He could have been. About five months after the boy was found, he was buried in Philadelphia's Potter's Field, which was literally just a field. I think a Potter's Field, if I'm not mistaken, is like a place where they kind of like bury bodies when you don't have like money Oh, really? 
or like place a way to dispose of it or something like that. It wasn't an actual like cemetery. That's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't an actual cemetery. And the investigators actually pulled money together to get him a headstone that read, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy, February 25th, 1957. And it was the only headstone in the field. I know. Oh my gosh. I know. And it's a child. I know. It's so sad. But they they all kept it decorated, though. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's nice. But it is. still, yeah. a child shouldn't be buried no. in general. So. It definitely shouldn't be unnamed and in a right. field by himself. <sighs> it's so sad. So in 1998, the boy was exhumed and had DNA samples pulled. And he and his headstone were relocated to Ivy Hill Cemetery, where they gave him a new headstone that read America's Unknown Child. And they also kept the original one, too. So he it's like a big one that like stands up. And then the original one was like one of the ones that were in the ground. I think I've seen photos of the new one. Yeah. In 1999, Frank Bender, who is a forensic artist, sculpted a bust of what the boy's father could have looked like. And this was featured on America's Most Wanted. And Frank Bender is actually a really prominent forensic artist. He's done oh. like a lot of like physical sculptures, like of busts of people, like John and Jane Doe's, like done a lot of like sketches of john and jane does trying to get people identified so that's really cool yes but still nobody came forward even after it was featured on america's most wanted and it was like all over the news and everything and still not one person came forward to identify the boy at that point what 30 years have passed Mm -hmm. which i know it's heartbreaking So, on March 21st, 2016, so they've been investigating this. Like, they have, this has been an open case since they found the boy. This is one of the biggest mysteries in true crime. Yeah. So, if you're into true crime, you know the boy in the box. Yeah. So, in 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children created a forensic facial reconstruction of the boy, and he was added to their database, which is interesting because I. I would think that he would have been added, like, way earlier. Right? But I guess, yeah. I guess not. They made a facial reconstruction of what he would have looked like alive, basically. Yes. And in 2019, the boy was exhumed again for more DNA testing. Which, uh, is, uh, I understand. Like, we want to s- find out who he is and his identity. Yeah. But let the poor thing rest. I know. Like, it just makes me so sad just hearing that people, like, are exhumed. I really hope, yeah, I just really hope this case is solved with the information they've already been able to confirm. Right. And he had to be exhumed again in 2019 because the like DNA that they tried to pull in 1998, like, they weren't successful. They, like, tried to pull DNA from, like, a tooth or something, okay, and yeah. it, it wasn't successful isn't the dna kind of destroyed in the process oh yeah yeah and they a lot of the people who were working over the years trying to 
pull DNA from him and do forensic testing said that it was super difficult just because the state that the DNA was in was so true. It was old. It was broken down. Like, I don't don't, even know how I don't even understand how it works. (laughs) Really either. I don't know how you do that. Like I, I don't get it. And it's incredible though. It is so incredible. Scientists are doing. Yeah. It's insane. It wasn't until November of 2022 literally last month yeah that there is finally a breakthrough in the case 65 years later the philadelphia police department claimed to have finally identified the boy through genetic testing and investigative genetic genealogy with the help of identifiers international a forensic genetic genealogy company they confirmed the identity of the boy to be joseph augustus zarelli and he was four years old when he passed away. And Aww. he was born on January 13th, 1953. He was a only baby. four. Yeah. He was a baby. He was only four. Apparently, how they found out was that a second cousin, once removed, uploaded his DNA profile to a public DNA database. And it matched Joseph's DNA. Wow. So the police had the supposed first cousin of Joseph come in for DNA testing, which then they uploaded to GEDmatch. The it's GED Match, which is kind of like the police's like DNA database. It's kind of like a ancestor, no, not ancestry, but like twenty three andme type thing, but yeah, way more inclusive of people and not, you know. As consumer friendly, uh, I guess. Yes. Uh, this helped investigators confirm Joseph's identity and identify Joseph's parents. Just so curious about this family. And this is still part of the mystery. Joseph's parents were never publicly identified or announced. Yeah. But it was confirmed that they are both dead. Joseph does have living siblings or half siblings i got mixed reports on that but he does have close family that is still alive that's so interesting which is so insane they need to get that in the in the yeah why aren't police department now why wouldn't they i'm hoping they're willing to help and wanting to help or else that's very right i'm hoping they just have no Maybe they no idea. Know. Maybe they just didn't know. But I cannot imagine if it's your brother. I don't know. Maybe just if you found out that was your half sibling, your cousin, or whatever, right? Like, yeah, why wouldn't you want to bring forward? I assume they brought forward information. I don't know. I'm. What I think is that his siblings or half siblings or whatever yeah. they are. Were probably born after true. he was deceased. That's true. So they might not have told them about That's him at true. all. They might just have no idea. And they might think that if they've even heard of the boy in the box, they might just think, you know. Or maybe like they all thought of it us, was a it's just a mystery. previous sibling or family member that died young and they never got more information on right? it. It's very interesting. Though we know his name now... And it was 65 years in the making of trying to identify who he was. That's really only half the 
answer. We still yes. don't know the circumstances of how he got there or who murdered him. It's still a cold case. And it's publicly, an we place. don't know anything else about Joseph or Mm-mm. what the family knew of him. No, <sighs> we just know really bothering. It is really upsetting that no more pieces like we have a name, but we don't have any other pieces we can add. Right. And obviously the name's important. Yes. It's been 65 years trying to figure out who this boy is. Yeah. But it, it's uh. super frustrating that, like, you think you're going to get all the answers right when you hear the name. But, you know. I'm also realizing now he's four years old. He wouldn't have any teachers. No. Would you not be in school at four? Like I mean, pre-K? Uh, pre-K Pre-school? maybe, but I don't know how common pre-K was then. Right. I, feel I was like thinking the, maybe he could have been five or six or so. Yeah. And I was thinking, I what about it, his teachers? But I guess if you're four, four, the parent might have. He probably had never been Yeah, it might not have been in school. I don't know. That's true. He might just have been too young. I'm, yeah. The parent probably taught them when they were that young. I'm going to get into some of the most prominent theories. Yeah about what might have happened to Joseph. Obviously, I I don't know the validity of all of these or how true they are. Um but these are the most prominent ones that the police have investigated, that the public talks about that people think might be true. Yeah. Um so I'm just going to go through a couple of them cuz obviously with this being such a huge case and it being open for so long there's so many theories there are so many like it could be anything we we don't know true i can only imagine right but we're gonna talk about just a few prominent theories so theory number one is the foster home theory and this was the most popular one for a long time this theory comes from an employee of the medical examiner named Remington Bristow, which, cool-ass name, let me tell yeah. you that. Remington Bristow, that's a cool-ass name. Uh, he tried to identify the boy from 1960 all the way up until his death in 1993. So he was committed oh, to trying to yeah. figure out who this boy was. Uh, he was totally in this he spent his own time and money trying to figure out who the boy was like his own money on flyers his own time getting them printed like going around investigating this on his own that's amazing it is amazing and allegedly he even carried a mask of the boy's face in his briefcase with him when he interviewed people about it which is a little creepy Uh, uh, i think a flyer would do yeah I don't know if you need a mask. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. Briscoe contacted a psychic in New Jersey for assistance, and she led him directly to a foster home about two miles from where the boy was found. Bristow went to an estate sale at this home and found blankets hanging on a clothesline that were super similar to the one that the boy was wrapped in when he was found. And they found a bassinet that could be similar to the one that was originally inside the J.C. Penney's box that the boy was found in. Bristow originally thought that the boy died accidentally because he was freshly groomed. 
Yeah. Like, he had his nails were trimmed. He was clean for the most part. Like, yeah. He had his hair trimmed. But then he theorized that the boy could be the son of the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home. So the man who ran the foster home, his stepdaughter's son. And she had him illegitimately. So they disposed of the boy so she wouldn't be exposed as an unwed mother. That was the theory. Why? I wonder why he believed he was killed accidentally, though, when... Isn't that... He yeah, was examined right? to be beaten. Right? That's what I was thinking, too. But I I have no idea. Literally, the only thing that was said on that was he thought that he was killed accidentally because his nails were trimmed. Oh, that... I'm like, but dude, Killers are weird. <laughs> they will groom they will their, their victims before but they... But, like, dude, it, it, like, seemed like he had a history of physical abuse. Like, Oh, yeah, there's that. But I, I don't, don't think, think if he was, he was physically abused, his parents would upkeep his or his guardian or whoever would upkeep his, you know, hygiene. hygiene there yeah. you go. So that was kind of his theory. But when Bristow died in 1993, Tom Augustine, a detective with the police department, the Philadelphia Police Department, took over this investigation and interviewed Arthur Nicoletti, who was the man who originally ran the foster home okay nicoletti's wife anna marie was thought to be the boy's mother meaning his wife was also his stepdaughter yeah but i guess Mm. has this kind of theory proven to be false now because oh yeah the identity i mean he still could have been in foster care right but so after interviewing them augustine and members of the i hope i'm saying this right vidoc society Uh who has been working this case like pretty much the entire time they're a crime solving volunteer group from philadelphia and they're super cool and they help solve a lot of crimes in philadelphia that's cool that's neat they stated that they believed that the foster family had no involvement and they interviewed the people at the foster home and they came to the conclusion that they had no involvement and this theory was officially closed. So that one was widely believed for a very long time. And honestly, I mean, that aside, because it's been proven false, the whole idea of him being in the foster system kind of makes sense because kids go missing in the foster system and they fall through the cracks and they're not looked for just because of I hate to say this, unfortunately, the lack of resources is kind of the excuse that's given uh that kids do are never that go missing are sex trafficked or all kinds of things because they're in the foster system and no one's really caring for them or advocating for them it's true so that's that could have been like a real possibility it makes sense yeah even now even knowing its name it could still be a possibility right a second theory is the sold son theory Oh, yeah. So two authors named Lou Romano and Jim Hoffman claim that they knew what happened to the boy in the box. They said that they met with a man from Philadelphia who claimed that he rented a home from a man who told him that he sold his son. The pair claimed that the boy's supposed father and supposed brother had facial similarities and they took DNA from the supposed brother to compare it to Joseph. Joseph. 
And this family lived in Memphis, Tennessee, which is a long way from Philly. That is. So I'm not quite sure where they got this from. And I believe this theory came to light in 2016. So I think they were like, I don't know what the point of this was, but in 2017, Philadelphia Homicide Sergeant Bob Kohlmeyer confirmed that the DNA samples from the man in Memphis did not match the boy. So, I don't know what those two were thinking, but... Also, who just says that they sold their son? Yeah, what the fuck? Like, do you just, like, go to someone's house and they're like, oh, by the way, sold my son last week. I mean, people do it. They do. I mean, it's true, but usually they usually don't they do talk about it. Usually they do it when they're younger, it. too. Like, as know. babies, right? Right. I feel like when you sell a child, it's either, like, a adoption, like, a illegal adoption mm-hmm. or something, and it's done younger, maybe, is when those cases happen, which could have been another possible thing that happened to him but obviously not in this way from this douchebag in memphis who sold his kid i feel like you don't usually just tell people that you don't know very well that you sold your son yeah that's just a that's weird a weird icebreaker. thing to share with people right and then this theory is called the martha slash m theory and it's kind of crazy and I don't know. I don't know what I believe about this one. Okay. But I'll just tell you. This theory comes from a woman named Martha or M. That's like what she was called in 2002, who claims that her abusive mother purchased the boy from his birth parents in 1954. Also, I just want to point out the weird connection from this theory in the last one. The man sold his son. This would be the purchase. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Martha claimed that the boy's name was Jonathan, and he had been sexually and physically abused by the mother of the house. She says that one night, the boy vomited his dinner of baked beans, which he was beat for. And after this, he was given a bath in which he died. Oh, I know. What? I know. Uh, Martha said that her mother cut the boy's hair to conceal his identity, and that she helped her mother dispose of the boy in the fox chase area. Martha also said that a man stopped by to see if they needed any help, in which Martha was instructed to stand in front of their vehicle's license plate to avoid being identified. And it kind of seems a little bit far-fetched, because, like, who is this woman? Yes. But the crazy part is that the coroner found baked beans in the boy's stomach, which is something that only investigators knew. Annie was groomed beforehand, Mm -hmm. which this person could have made up, but Annie took a bath, which fits my weird theory that may not even be scientific. But his hands and feet were wrinkled, so Uh, the part about the man stopping was also corroborated by police as a man gave a confidential witness testimony to police in 1957 who described this. Mm -hmm. That is freaky right like how would you know that um though this theory is plausible martha has a history of mental illness making police unsure of the truth behind her story and unable to uh, verify any of it Mm. and allegedly martha's neighbors said that there was never a boy who lived at their house and said that her claims were ridiculous i would say that 
I yeah. I, can I would see say that, that but, but how the, the fuck beans, does she know about the baked beans, bro? You can't just guess. Like, do you just guess that? Right. Could it have been just... How did you know that? Yeah. Unless somehow she found the coroner's report. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, know how you do that. I couldn't even find the coroner's report. Yeah. Uh, I kind of doubt she did, especially... Well, when did... I don't know when... This She reported this in 2002. Oh, I don't know. How would you? I don't know. But the baked beans, that's weird. Right. How would you know that? I don't know. And then this Unless is... there were the rumors, ex- rumors existed because word had gotten out from the police force. Maybe. And there was just, it was just by word of mouth or just random rumors or articles that existed about the right. baked beans. Yeah. Maybe some police officer was like, there's baked beans in his stomach. I guess. And then it I just might have spread or something. Yeah. I that's the only kind of explanation I could give because who just guesses he had baked beans unless that was a common meal in the 50s. Right. I don't I don't know. Ugh. Ew. Baked beans are gross though. <laughs> I can't lie. Yeah. No, I don't fuck with them either. Ugh. Um, so this is the last theory that I don't truly believe, but it was just a a thought when they were trying to identify yeah. Joseph. This one comes from Frank Bender, the forensic artist, okay. and he thought that the boy could have been raised as a girl his in his life. Uh, this is mostly due to the long clumps of hair that were found on him and that his eyebrows appeared to have been like styled, like plucked like nicely groomed and in 2008 bender created a sketch of the boy as if he had been raised as a girl while he was alive but nothing came of this either um and i i don't really know anything else about that no one is nothing really alludes to the fact that he was because no girl clothes were found right i guess the sweater wasn't necessarily feminine or this handkerchief or this scarf right i think it really just goes to show how like desperate they were to just try to figure out yeah who he was but honestly if whoever you know groomed him before his death or after his death even just could have been weird about it and just wanted him to be absolutely perfect or whatever right i don't, I don't know, know that's the what haircut was all messed up though that's true oh yeah I, it was probably to like conceal his identity because if he had like long hair when he was alive like he didn't have to be raised as a girl like he could have just no, been a boy with long hair can have long hair and then they just cr- really roughly shaved it just to try to conceal his identity oh yeah that's true i don't know but like i said even though we know his name now we still don't know what happened to joseph augustus sorelli and dang it that's why i asked you to do this case because i figured they'd (laughs) they'd had more than just the name no this is it that's it this is it and now that we have the name i'm really hoping that they're they're doing everything that they can right now to try to figure out who is responsible i mean it has only been a month since they released the name right so it's it's definitely interesting and i'm happy that we covered this case like right after the huge news of him being identified came out. Yes. And obviously, if there's any other updates, we will be updating. Yeah. But as of right now, we still are not sure 
what happened to him, which is so sad because you just want to know, like, now that we know his name, like, it's been over 65 years since he passed away, and we still, like, are unable to hold whoever did this to him accountable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's wild. But I, it kind of, it makes me super hopeful that they have his name now and they've only had it for a month that i really really think this case will be solved i'm like pretty confident me too especially because they already like identified his parents like they know that he has living siblings yeah or living family members that like might be able to give some insight yes if If they're willing they're able to give insight Mm -hmm. i think that will be what solves the case but me too but that is all for the murder of Joseph Augustus Cirelli. And thank you for listening. Yeah, you shared that case so well. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've known about this. I mean, obviously, if you're into true crime, yes. you pretty much you, you know <laughs> this case. Not Maybe not inside and out, but you've definitely heard of it. Yeah. Um, so I was really excited to share today um especially because of the good news of him being identified so that was awesome yes but i'm super hopeful that it'll be solved soon me too any anything else no i think that's it yeah that's it for me then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening and um happy new year because we're not going to see you until 2023 20- holy yeah i know hey if you're listening go follow us on our instagram at strange and sinister go follow us on tiktok at strange and sinister Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a twitter too at strange and cinny but yes if we get some follows over there i'll we'll be more active on that platform too yeah i think that's it i think that's our three places and we have a website yeah and we have a website where you can submit fan art or case suggestions and just let us know you can see all of our sources you yes. can look at pictures we have a photo gallery on there watch videos related to the case we post yeah all that on our website we have a lot going on in the media world we right do now. we try to stay active i check on all the platforms like every day right now that i am on my little christmas break yeah i've been able to do some more media stuff which is really cool because usually sarah has to handle that because i am a busy bee you are in my life not many people i don't know like if i've ever even talked about it not that i really have to get into it at the end of this episode but i'm quite a busy bee so i'm just very happy to be able to contribute to our social media stuff and our website and stuff right now it's really cool so with that Stay spooky. Stay strange. And we'll see you in the next one.